because it seems to be a departure. And again, one of the things we talk about in the Ten Commands, the Ten Words, is how one through four are connected to this idea of loving God, and five through ten focus more on, on loving other people. So one through four tends to have a vertical component. Five through ten tends to have a horizontal component. Jesus, of course, summarized it beautifully when, he, when they asked him, you know, how do you, how do you see the commands? What's your t- perspective and take upon them? And Jesus said, you know, this is the commandments in a, in a nutshell, or distilled. He said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great commandment, the first, the first section. It says, and the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And that has to do with relationships and people. And so he says, in these two things, you have the essence of what God wants. So there's this really, uh, you know, important component for us to be aware of. A lot of times, I think, when we think of the Ten Commandments, and we're going to look at number four again, is that we often think of them as prohibitions or sort of, you know, kind of negative things. I think there's something that's connected to the fact that it's telling us the things we're not to do frequently. But we've been talking about how, in reality, these were actually amazingly gracious words. I mean, for every negative, there's a positive connected to the commandment. We talked about how if the negative is, you know, have no other gods before me, then the positive is, I give you myself. If the negative is, don't, you know, make me into some type of image shaped by your own hands. Don't make an image and let it misrepresent me then the positive of that command is, please know me as I am. If the negative of, you know, don't take my name and misuse it and use it in, a, in an inappropriate way, in vain, the, the beauty of that command is, please receive my name and may it be beautifully set upon your lips and may it represent something that it was meant to be to you in your life. May it be life-giving, a life-giving name to you. And this fourth one, this fourth command, which is an odd one because it almost, you know, it's not like saying don't do anything. It is in a way. It's saying don't do work, as we'll see. But it's also this, this idea of keeping the Sabbath. So let's look at this together. And again, in the back of our minds, remembering that Israel was given these words as a people who had just come out of a point of, of bondage. Uh, they, were, they, they lacked an identity as a people. Uh, for generations, they had been oppressed without a national definition. And so one of the first things God gives them as a gift are these words, these guiding principles to live by to allow them to have a sense of boundaries and purpose and principles that if they applied and honored and words if they kept them, God said would provide them with blessing for generations and that they would become a light to the nations. So this is a a great truth. Now, we're going to read through uh, verses 8 through 11. This is in the handout. Also, Exodus 20 is what we're reading. Exodus 28 through 11. It says this, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, You have uh, six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes your, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. And then he embeds it into the, the creation account. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. And this is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So again, as we just start into this, I want to lay some principles out in front of us that are foundation for understanding and also for helping us get to where I, I think we need to go here. Let me just kind of put this on the board that concerning the Sabbath. The first thing about the Sabbath, as we've just read here, and the Sabbath, just for a working definition, literally means rest from labor. So he's saying, remember to keep a rest from labor day. He's saying, out of the seven days in the week, 
I want one day to be a, a, a day of non-activity. But more than that, it's to be a day that is offered up uh, in relationship to me. It's, in, it's a fascinating command because it's like God is requiring his people to do nothing but be replenished. It's amazing. We take it for granted, but we forget how revolutionary of a concept it truly was. I mean, the idea that God would say, as you're worshiping me, I want you to stop your work. Remember, you are not created simply for work, to live by bread alone. He's saying you're not made simply for activity. You are not machines only producing an output, making your, you, you are far more than that. You are a people who were created to know and love me, and I want to know you. And remember this, the pre, there's something there as well, that remember that you are not God. We are, and I think all of us are aware of this, how truly fragile we really are. I mean, our bodies can be broken. That's a fact. I mean, one of the things that we, we, you know, the New Testament says that we're like jars of clay. A jar of clay is very fragile, can be broken. We're capable, and that's just the, at the physical level, but there's true at an emotional level, relational level, certainly a spiritual level. I mean, we, are, we can be broken. We, we, are, we are not God. You know, and there's something about this com- commandment that's so compassionate. I mean, it's like God is, is this is a com- compassionate heart of God saying, you are my people. And I want you to be a people who, who learn how to rest. And then God, number one, embeds it in his own example. And that's going to be our first point. This, is, this Sabbath principle, this command, is grounded in the example of God, who is recorded in the book of Genesis as having rested or ceased from his creative activity. Let's look at this together in the middle column there, Genesis 1.31, Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It says, then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was good. It was very good. And everything passed, and morning came. After evening had finished, morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. And so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And it's a kind of fascinating passage that many have pondered for generations, because God is the source of creative energy. And therefore... He is the possessor of an infinite amount of it. And yet it's recorded here that he's resting. But he's resting not because he's tired. He's resting for a different reason. The scripture makes it clear that he is ceasing from his work to mark the moment and appreciate the goodness of what he has, his hands have wrought. There's this moment of pause as, this, as, as if he were, he is reflecting on the satisfaction of what has been done and set in motion. And by the way, I think that's part of the reason why you and I have that same tendency as human beings to want to appreciate something when we've completed it, to want to mark it in some way. We sign our names to things. We say, I, I, I drew this, or I wrote this, or, I, or we completed this, or our team project, we finished it. There's this idea of satisfaction is, a, is something that is a reflection, even in our broken condition, of the, what the ancients called the imago Dei in the Latin, the image of God. That there, is, there are things that we do that reflect our creator. We long to create. We, we, there's in us to create things. We, we love. We, we, we have this desire to be a part of discovering. We long for life. We love life. We long to live. We long to know what is yet to come. We, these are things that are embedded in our very DNA because of the creative hand of God. And one of the things I think is important for us to remember is that God says an example of pausing to appreciate the completion of something. 
And I think that's valuable for us, particularly in the kind of day and age in which we live, when everything is so fast-paced. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But this, this idea that God himself pauses to reflect on something when it's, when it's been achieved and accomplished and done. I think we need to do... Some of us are good at celebrating things. Some of us are not as good. And we're on to the next thing. And there is something about pausing to consider and reflect and ponder the goodness of what has been done here and go, wow, this was something. This is something special. And we need to honor this moment. We need to mark this moment. God does that. So, you know, not only is this command grounded in the example of God, but there's a presupposition. It's a presupposition that I might add that is often underappreciated. Can you see it? The presupposition in this command is noted in verse number nine. And it's something, again, that we often miss. But look what it says. He says, you have six days for your work. And, that assume, and this, so what is it assuming is this. It assumes, number two, that Israel would be a people of activity and, and effort and work. That they, that, think about it this way. The Sabbath principle uh, almost assumes activity and effort. It, the resting complements, uh, holds in check the doing. And make no mistake about it. If there's no work, no productivity, no push being made, then this commandment at some level is rendered Irrelevant. God wanted his, to pe- his people to be diligent and to be energetic, a people with a, a good work ethic. Think about where they were coming out of, where they, they, they had never really had a sense of, of pride and ownership and a sense of real uh, satisfaction in the work that they'd done because they were oppressed and made to do it. And God is saying, I want you to be a people who are industrious. Uh, I think that has tremendous implications for those of us who would follow Jesus. It really does. Because one of the things that's clear, and it's been consistent throughout the scriptures, Jesus made it even more so clear, is that we are to be a people who pursue a growth in our lives, who, per, who are on a growing edge, who are seeking to do good work, who are not to be passive um, and slothful in the way in which we engage life. I mean, this is going to show up a lot of times on our jobs. I mean, I was talking to a few different people, and we've been mulling this over as well. You know, sometimes we, are, we find ourselves in a work environment where, you know, there's such a low morale, or people um, are divided, or there's this feeling that somehow, you know, um, they don't really care about us. And there's a kind of collective culture of not really doing good work, and, and or people are getting by with doing as little as you can. Or even tempt the temptation to join in with stuff and just kind of go with the flow. And yet, for a follower of Jesus, we're called to be good workers. And we're called to be a people who seek to honor God in everything that we do and in every aspect of our lives. Certainly in the workplace, one of the places where we invest ourselves. That even though some people say, well, my work's not that meaningful. Yeah, but, but it matters how we put our heart into it. We do this under the Lord. Whatever we do, the Bible says, do it with all of your might unto God. There, there is a sense that everything that we touch in life, we are to seek to pour our heart into it and to do our best to honor the Lord where we are in the circles of life so that people might see the reality of God. Now, I understand there are some situations where we might really irritate people if we do more than we're supposed to do, right? It's like, hey, calm down here, will you? You know, I mean, this is not how it works here. And I get that. I, I, really, I, I really do. And at the same, and we've got to walk that fine line. I, I know that, but I think I think the idea of being a people who are committed to effort and energy and expansion—that God wants us to be a people on the grow. We talk about the need periodically to just, and again, a lot of what this principle is about, a lot of what this command is about, is about learning how to draw off of God and live life more effectively for Him. 
And sometimes, again, we, I think we forget that he does care about the way we work. You know what? Not only was God a worker, as recorded in Genesis 1, but his son was a worker. Look what it says about Jesus. I put this up. John 9 says this. I must, he just what Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is the day. Now, you know what? What was he talking about, the day? Was he talking about, like, this day, this day? No, what he's saying is, while this time, this day for him spoke of a span of opportunity. While I am here in this earth, on this earth, to do that which my Father has committed to me, I must work the works of him who sent me while the opportunity is present to me and given to me to do it. And Jesus, we know, steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem. He was, he was tenacious and, and unmovable in his, in his relentless pursuit of the will of the Father. He, he was a, a man of work. He was a man who, who served others, a man who models for us. We are, if we will follow him, by the way, a follower of Jesus is basically a disciple. A committed follower is a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciplined one. It involves challenging our life. It invo- if we're going to follow in his pathway, he was a worker. He modeled work. He modeled effort and energy and giving and service. It was not a passivity to Jesus that was disengaged, apathetic, um, uncaring, sort of in his own world. It was about engagement. It was about being, being someone who was working. And there's something about that that Jesus models for us. You and I are to be a people who contend for growth and expansion in our own lives. To sign up with Jesus, you hear me say it frequently, is to sign up to grow. And it means that we're going to challenge things. We're going to have seasons. Yes, sometimes we grow better than others. Sometimes we, we have times where it looks like we're not growing at all. And, and it doesn't even seem like it's showing up outwardly in, in the area of our public life. But sometimes a lot of that growth is taking place on the inside. Remember we talk about how sometimes real growth is taking place. Before you ever see the sprout coming out of the ground, there's a lot of growth that's occurred underneath the ground. There are times where God's trying to do internal work inside of us. He's trying to begin to change our paradigms and our way of seeing things. The way in which we've always done things, the words that we've always sort of responded with and reacted to and with, you know, and, and how we've gone about, you know, the Lord's trying to get at that, rework it, rewire it, begin to cause us to points of growth, breaking out of things that we've that have been sort of stuck in for a long time. This is an expansive adventure, a life with God. It's not static. It's, it's, it's got things in it. When it's working right, when, when we're really growing with God, it just becomes this amazing thing where we're going, Lord, you're moving all over the place. I see things I never saw before. And you're bringing me into conversations I didn't think I was going to have. And now I see you in them. And, and Lord, what's the next thing that you're going to open up here, Lord? And Lord, speak to me. But again, when we're so busy or when we're so uh, maybe into our own sort of world and we're not honoring this Sabbath principle, as we're going to talk about, we miss so much. And this is the third piece here. Not only was Jesus a worker, but Jesus was someone who kept the Sabbath himself. That was an example of his. Let me show you a verse. In Luke 4, 18, it says this. I mean, it says Luke 1, 16. It says this, that he came to Nazareth. And when he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as, look at this next phrase, as was his, what, as was his custom, as his custom was, he went to the synagogue, right, on the Sabbath. Now, what was the synagogue? The synagogue was, the, was like, it would be like us saying, Jesus went to church on the Sabbath. So Jesus has a habit, a custom of honoring a day in which he gathers together with others, as we are doing now, he gathers together with others to, to honor God in this one of seven days. 
And what he does is, as, as an example, as a custom in his life, it's part of his rhythm of life, a foundational piece for a reason. There's this point where he pulls out and he pulls in. Now think about this for a moment. I mean, if there was one person who, who didn't have to go to church, it's Jesus. Because wherever Jesus goes, that's church, right? I mean, that's he's there, he's it. And yet he models for us this pattern in his life, this custom in his life of having a regular time of engagement because, again, it says something. Not only, again, Sabbath, Jesus taught us. He says, look, the Sabbath, you know, it was like, it was, it's made, it was, it was not made in a way to oppress us, he said. You know, it's not like man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It, it was God's gift designed to remind us that we function best when we carve out space for God in an intentional way in our life on a regular way. When there's a rhythm to our life, there are foundational mooring points that hold us in place that allow us to get recentered or realigned when that temptation is always to get off course. Now, having said that, having mentioned this, you know, and again, Christians for generations have been celebrating uh, the, the Sabbath. In, in, Christian Sabbath is often thought of as Sunday, but it's, it's, that's because that's the day when the Lord rose from the dead, and the resurrection has always been on that Sunday celebrated. But the day is not as important, I think, as the principle of it. The, it's something that you and I need to really consider and what it really is meant to be for us. Let me, and again, just kind of working through this in a more practical fashion, let's just suggest that here's why it's important for this to be working in our lives, all right? Because all of us need a time for rest and replenishment. It's just a fact. Um, and I'm not talking about the type of stuff that, that we often think of as recreation. A lot of the stuff that we recreate with, actually, we're more tired by the time that we're done, or, or, we're, we're less healthy. Think about recreation. Where do you think that word comes? What does it recreate? Its original intention is this idea of recreating, of, of getting a, a flow of life back into me. One of the, the, the whole principle here has to do with the fact that we as mo modern followers of Jesus understand that for Israel uh, and you know, a vast majority of previous you know, generations of followers of Jesus, the Sabbath was not something like they kind of like squeezed into their schedule when they had some time. It was like God was saying, you know what? Start with this big rock and then build the week around it. Start here. Why? Why? Why is it to be such an important? Because God's saying, look, it has to be a foundational piece because our tendency will be to lose ourselves in our pursuits, in our activity. We, we can literally work ourselves to death or act, act just be so going here and there and get stuck in places. We, you know, we talk about getting into a groove. That groove turns into a rut. A rut becomes something that is so deeply dug into the ground that we're just kind of stuck in it. We're just kind of meandering through life. Remember when I talked about how Jesus said, while it is day? Listen, our day is our span of life. It is our opportunity on earth. I don't know the span of, our, of my day. We don't know the span of our days but we know that our day has an end. And then hopefully it opens up into a new day. But that final block in the calendar, whenever that is, listen, listen. Our day, Jesus said, I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. This is our time to live a life that is God-honoring. As much as possible to avoid mistakes that will be consequential and impactful on others in an adverse way. 
to increasingly be a people who make good decisions, who seek to honor God in our relationships so his life flows, to be a people who are open and listening to the Lord, whose life counts and matters. What did Jesus say was the most important thing? We've been talking about this. Our day, I don't know my day, but this is the day. This is the time to challenge things in our lives. The Sabbath principle reminds us that we were, are not made to just, you know, keep pushing and pushing and pushing the tyranny of this driven, driven you know, life of ours at times. Um, it, it, it tends to rob us of the things that make, make us um, most enjoy it. Uh, it's, <laughs> how can I describe it? I mean, I think a lot of times we forget the amount of noise that is swirling about us. We live in a noisy world. Now, I lived in San Francisco all my life, so I've sort of grown up in the city. But I'm not talking about literal noise. I'm talking about the many voices that are always pulling on us here and there. And this, this value of being able to pull back. You know, it's, it's also interesting and, and to, to be still. What does the Bible say in Psalm 46? Be still and know that I am God. Well, sometimes we're not good at being still, so maybe we're not so good at knowing God. Maybe the two sometimes go hand in hand. We have so much stuff going on, and we're busy here and there, and we want to get there. We've got devices. I mean, I'm telling you, I used to say, you know, what about the idea of, of maybe fast? I mean, say, let's, let's just pull, pull away. Don't watch any TV for a while. But now I'm thinking, no, maybe we need to take a technology fast for a day or a part of a day. Like, cause, I, I mean, because think about it. We are inundated with so much stuff so fast, and our life is like, it's, it's constantly... Every, everything about it is fast. It's multitask. I was looking at my daughter. I was going, oh, my goodness. You know, I mean, she could, I said, honey, she could do, you know, it's like she could do all these different things, just fat. This generation, I've been reading a lot about it, our generation here. In, we're, we're, you know, sometimes when something's slow, we're going, man, this is so slow. This is so slow. Why don't I hurry? I can't believe something's wrong here. We want it fast, right? Fast. And you remember, the stuff that we're going, this is so slow for just a few decades back, a couple of generations back, that was like science fiction. I mean, it's so incredible. So we're going, ah, come on, I don't know what's wrong with this thing, right? It, but for other, it's so it's like the amazing world in which we live, which we can get things so fast, we can look here, have a conversation here, check this. I mean, it's like, and, this, and one of the things this article was talking about that I've been, I was reading, and I've been reading actually more than a lot discussion around this, is that there, there's some concern about the implications of what's happening right now at a social level. Because with all the amazing advancements that are occurring with technology in our lives, one of the things they're concerned about is that are, are people going to lose the art of, of communication with one another? That it looks like that our listening capacities are starting to diminish. Their ability to concentrate for long periods of time because we're so used to moving quickly from here to there. Some of the things that, that, that wire us best relationally are sort of being undercut and challenged as we advance. And part of the Sabbath principle, I really believe, is to slow us down. Some of us might benefit periodically saying, you know what, I'm going to have to be detached for a part of my day. I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. You can do this. <laughs> we can do this. Because maybe we're having so much connectivity that we're disconnecting with God. Maybe part of what we periodically need to do, and maybe the principle of the Sabbath underscores this, is that we were made for times of rest we were made for times in which we need to pull the plug on things. Now, again, a lot of times we pull the plug, but we pull the plug in the wrong direction. And it's something that I, I was thinking about. There was this amazing verse. Let me show you so this. It's a stunning, inter really interesting verse. Psalm 78 it has this statement about Israel. Look at it, and you'll, from an issue, you're going to go, why, are we, why is this being brought up? Look at this. 
It says that um, God's talking to his people. He says, but they kept testing and rebelling against God most high. They did not obey his laws. They turned back and were as faithless as their parents. It's talking about Israel, um, the generations after Egypt. And it says, and they were as undependable as a crooked bow. Not the bow that we're talking about here, this kind of a bow. And what God is saying, and it's mentioned in Hosea as well, it was the, the imagery of his people. He's saying, my people have become to me like a crooked bow. You know what a crooked bow was? A crooked bow, was, he's saying is, it doesn't shoot straight anymore. I, I created my people for a purpose, to, to shoot something and hit a mark. But they're, they're a deceitful bow. It's, it's, it's going off court. Why? Because it's not shooting accurately anymore. One of the interesting things, you know, we have uh, uh, today, our bows are made of high-tech material, you know, fiberglass. Uh, this, is, this is a whole different kind of, but it, of, a, of a way of going about making a, a you know, a modern day bow. But in, in previous generations, certainly in the generation of the Bible, the bow was carved out of wood. And one of the things that we know about is that a bow for it to stay reliable, had to be unstrung. If it was left in tension too long, part of what would make a bow unreliable was the tension that was unreleased. And I think that many of us can see where I'm going here. That something that is too tight makes us, over time, unable to shoot Accurately, it pulls. It no, we can no longer move truly into what we were meant to be by God, and also we miss our purpose. We miss. So there is this sense that the God wants to teach us how to be a people who are periodically unstringing ourselves in healthy ways, in order to retain our resiliency and our strength, and our, and, and we even, I think, um, even the strongest of us need to have times where we are unstrung, and I think that's part of the brilliance of this command. I mean, God made us. He knows how we tick, how we best function, um, and he declared that we need, every one of us here needs time for healthy rest and healthy replenishment, thinking good thoughts, long thoughts, deep thoughts. Um, you know, some of us, we're pushing so hard, and if we're not careful, we're going to snap. And see, because of what I, I do in this this role and calling uh, now for a number of years, I've watched a lot of people snap over time. I've watched relationships break. I've watched people get nervous breakdowns, um, do amazingly reckless things. And a lot of times it's connected to this tension that's nonstop. So sometimes people just, when the bow is strung so tight and it's just not getting, the principles that God's tried to set forth aren't being honored. What happens a lot of times, that tight, it's just sometimes people just snap. Sometimes people, they don't snap. It's just over time, what happens is, little by little, the, the, the law of diminishing return sets in. And over time, we start to get less and less for more and more. And we begin to see that things are dying inside of us. You remember the old proverbial, sharpen the saw, right? I mean, the difference between effectiveness and efficiency, efficiency doing things right, effectiveness doing the right things. Sometimes sharpening the saw, we say, well, I got to keep doing, I got to keep going, I got to keep going, I got to keep going. But there is a need, that if I, I can't pull off. But yet, the, over time, that edge starts to get dulled, and it can't, I can be working harder and harder and harder, and I'm getting less and less uh, cutting motion going down. And there is a wisdom in being able to pull that saw out of there and sharpen the edge 
so that when I go back to work, I will pick up everything I lost. See, the principle of the one in seven days is this. If we acknowledge the one in seven, it will make the six more effective. It makes everything better. This idea of being able then to have a more effective life. Because we can be very efficient and do the wrong thing. I'm doing the wrong thing really well. Right? I'm, I'm really good at it. It's the wrong thing. But I'm cutting, I'm cutting away. And I'm very efficient at this cutting motion. But, it's not, but I, I cut the wrong thing. And, I, and that's not that effective. I need to go back and focus. Where am I? And this leads me to the second piece here. Stay with me on it. Some of this is real important. Is that Sabbath is a time to refocus our priorities because we get off course in life. We can do this very easily. A lot of times we, we're not even watching what's happening and sometimes we're so tired, we're, instead of recreating, we're getting ourselves into unhealthy patterns and so we don't necessarily snap, we don't necessarily have the law of diminishing returns that's in. One of our ways of dealing with it is to unhealthily create these other outlets that actually end up seriously injuring us and damage us deeply, and we've created a little secret world, and this is where we find our outlet. And I'm going to tell you something. That's not the God, God's way. That's not life. That's death. And he's in the life. And part of, part of this principle here reminds us that we need a time to refocus ourselves and to relook at our, our, our lives. That, that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 4, 18, it says this. It says that we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Why? Where is our focus? Because the things which are seen, they are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. And so a lot of times we are fixated on the wrong things. Now, I'm not talking about being so heavenly minded that we're no, no earthly good. Jesus taught us that real faith has to show up in a very organic, real, down-to-earth way. He was everything about that daily life. Da it's got to hit in the real places of our lives. But he also reminded us not to get so caught up in the pursuit of things that in the final analysis mean Nothing. Nothing. They cannot be taken with us. They, are, they will burn up and be left behind. And even if we think we have worked, and some of the things we work so hard, we pour our heart and we are worried, but does it really matter? Lay up, Jesus said, for yourselves treasure in heaven, not on this earth, in heaven where it cannot be taken from you, not on this earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Here's the irony. The treasure that is laid up in heaven is directly connected to what we do on earth. And he's saying, have an eternal perspective as we engage life. Well, how do I do that? I mean, again, there needs to be a time, a rhythm in our life where, and you know what the Bible says? It works best when we have a weekly rhythm. When we say, hey, what is my, my seasonal calling right now? Where should my priorities be right now? Am I focused in the right direction or am I just running? Am I just running? You know, initially when you run, uh, you, uh, when you're moving towards an objective, to get a little off course is not a big deal. But over time, if that thing keeps going and going and going before long, that same trajectory leads us way off course. The value of the weekly reminder is that even when we get off a little bit, it still is a way of bringing us back so that we're moving in a right way. There, the principle of Sabbath has to do with creating place in our life so that, that we are asking these questions, pondering our life direction. 
we're thinking, we're interacting in creative and helpful ways with others. There's rich conversation. We're talking about healthy celebration. We're talking about ways in which we're considering. Maybe we take a walk. Maybe we're writing. Maybe we're praying. We're open to God. We're listening. We're thinking about our life. We're thinking about what we're placing our emphasis on. Am I on course? How's my pace going? Is this gonna, what's this going to ultimately result in? Am I going to get way off course here? Am I off course? Have I drifted? Do I need to come back in a serious way? This, these are questions, but if we have a pattern in our life of checking our tendency to get off, it will bring us back into the safe place. And over time, it will produce, listen, a productive, life-giving life. That is huge. It's such a big deal. It's so big. And I, it's again, do we see how having a time in our life to properly and prayerfully consider um, what is happening in our lives shapes and forms the other six? It really does. Last thing I'll say, the last piece of this, here it is, is not only does it need to be a time to refocus uh, our priorities, but also is a time for us to remember that what God really wants from you and me, <laughs> more than our service, as good as it is, he wants our hearts. He says, I don't want you to do anything. Just be with me. Enjoy your life. Be with me. Rest your body, mind, and soul. Remind yourself of what's important. Enjoy your people and your life. Live close to me. Live, live life lightly. Don't get bogged down in all this other stuff. Let me tell you, there's this one, in, one story. We'll close with this one. It's actually a, one of the most remarkable exchanges in all the scripture because, again, Jesus clearly wasn't saying work doesn't matter, service doesn't matter. We know faith without works is dead. We get that. I understand that. We understand it's got to show up in our action, in our life, in our fruitfulness. But stay with me. There was this one place where Jesus is walking in, in Luke 10. It's not on the handout. But Jesus is, is going, says he's on his way to Jerusalem. He and his disciples, they come into this village, this town. There are some people who befriended them and welcomed them into their home. We're actually told that, that it was a lady who's, the primary person who did this was a lady named Martha. She had a sister named Mary. They also had a brother who will later on become famous. His name is Lazarus. That, that they, became, they become very attracted to, to Jesus' ministry, believe in him, and they want to have them over, his, he and his disciples, over to their house. And they want to, she, Martha wants to feed them. She has a gift of hospitality. She gets to work, we're told, and she starts to create this you know, special meal for all of them, and she's working very hard and probably directing people here and there, go this and you know, get this all ready, got this large group to feed. And then as she's doing this, she notices something. She says that Jesus is over there teaching. He's teaching. That's not a problem, but there was somebody who should have been helping her who wasn't helping her, who maybe had initially said she was going to help her, but her sister Mary is, the Bible says, was just sitting there just enamored with Jesus and is just listening and just and, and the impression you get when you read the, the account is that Martha must have been busy and she's, she's probably looking at her sister. <laughs> no, I don't want to interrupt Jesus, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to be the only one doing this. Where are you? What's wrong with you? And then, and then, and then and Mary is just like lost. And there's this, 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 and then the Bible says that and this is a remarkable exchange because what Martha does is she says, "Lord, she says, she says will you, can, can, my sister, my sister, don't you think she needs to be helping me do this? I mean, we're trying to make a meal here, and and she's just sitting there doing nothing. And then Martha takes it one step further, doing something that very few people do. 
Tell her she needs to help me. Tell her. Wow, Martha, that's pretty audacious of you to tell Jesus to tell her to do it. Look at the answer that the Lord gives, and it will sum up everything we've been sharing, what he says. And Jesus answered, and he said to her, and I love this because I've substituted my name in there. <laughs> Martha, Martha, mm. you are worried. The older version says anxious and troubled about so many details, so many things. But I tell you, one thing above all other things is truly needed, and Mary actually is doing that very thing. I know she's supposed to help you, I get all, but she's actually doing something. One thing is needed, and I will not be taken, I will not tell her to break apart from it. She's, she's listening to me, and it's a reminder that at the end of the day, as much as God loves our work and wants us to be a working people and a servant, people who serve, he never wants us to do that at the expense of our heart. That everything flows out of this. It's about relationship. It's about spending time with him. It's about the principle of Sabbath at work in our lives in a consistent way. It's not just about output because it's what's going on inside. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And I know a lot of us can feel it. You are troubled and anxious about so many things. Calm yourself. Be with me. If you're not there, we will be. It's just a matter of time. Life is so complex, it throws things at us all the time. May we be focused in the right way. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing opportunity that we have to just be able to sit with you and think about you and to be open to you. And Lord, I, truly there are times where we've got just so much stuff going on. We, we, get, we get pulled here. We get pulled there. We are troubled about many things. And yet the one thing that is most needed above all other things, Lord, is to make sure that we are focusing on you at some level. It is the key to everything. It matters, Lord. The rhythm of our life matters. The focus of our life matters. The way we're building our life matters, Lord. And you want to be welcomed into those places. You gave us this not to catch us or to, you know, force us. You, you gave us this command because of your compassion and the knowledge of who we are and what we truly need because we were made for relationship with you. And at our core, our work, our service, and everything else in our life becomes better when we focus on this first thing the one thing, our relationship with you, that is most needful of all. So I just pray that as we close the service, that we would not be in a hurry. Um, other stuff's coming, get it. But we want to honor you in this, in this minute. Let this closing song be our closing prayer. Bless our time of giving in its own way. It's one in ten. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord.
See you. 